Welcome to Radar Contact, the audio show that teaches pilots how to speak professionally and with confidence to air traffic control. And now, here's your host, airline pilot, author, and host of ATCCommunication.com, Jeff Canarish. Hello, welcome. Long time no see. Or more accurately, long time no talk, because if I thought you could see me, well, I probably wouldn't pass my next flight physical. But I have been kind of busy, which is why it's been a while since we've had an episode of the Radar Contact Show. And that's because I've been devoting all of my free time, well, most of it anyways, to continued construction of the aircraft radio simulator. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that later on in the show. Well, let's get started. It's September 5th, 2014. Adair Cicada TBM 900, which is a single-engine turboprop airplane capable of flying into the low 30,000s, is on an IFR flight plan from Syracuse, New York to Naples, Florida. The pilot is currently in contact with Atlanta Center heading south. The following conversation ensues, and this is taken from a recording at liveatc.net, and the conversation has been edited for length. Here's the conversation. Center, TBM 900, Kilo November is level 280. Over 900, Kilo November, Kilo November. Good. 900, Kilo November, we need to descend uh, down to about 180. We uh, have an indication it's not correct in the plane. Bye-bye. Atlanta Center, how do you read? 
The flight continued on heading south until it crashed into the ocean right near the island of Jamaica. It's speculated at this point that the problem that the pilot spoke about in the cockpit to Atlanta Center was a loss of cabin pressurization, though he never said this on the radio. 900 kilo November, we need to descend uh, down to about 180. We uh, have an indication it's not correct in the plane. And the reason why we believe this to be true is, number one, the pilot became non-responsive to air traffic control. Number 900 kilo November, Atlanta Center, how do you read? Number two, he requested a lower altitude. There are only a few reasons why a pilot would request a lower altitude, primarily the most important one being loss of cabin pressurization. And three, the flight was later intercepted by a pair of F-15s, and the leader of the F-15 formation said he could see inside the cockpit of the TBM and could actually see the pilot passed out at the controls And this is very important. The F-15 pilot also reported that the TBM's cockpit windows appeared to be partially frosted over. Well, as you know, cabin pressurization on an airplane is designed to keep that cabin at a comfortable pressure altitude when the plane is operating at high altitude. What you may not also know is that cabin pressurization also works to heat and cool the cabin to keep it at a comfortable temperature. Otherwise, the temperature of the cabin would just rise and lower with ambient outside air temperature. So if the cabin pressurization system fails, it usually follows that cabin heating and cooling has also failed, and it would make sense in this case for a high-altitude flying airplane for the cabin temperature to drop to the very cold outside air temperatures surrounding that airplane, and the inside would begin to frost over with the condensation from the occupant's breath. So that frost on the windows is a very strong indication of loss of cabin pressurization. You'll notice in this incident that when the problem occurred, the pilot asked for a lower altitude, although he didn't say what the problem was, and he only asked for a descent to 18,000 feet. Most emergency checklists say when there's a loss of cabin pressurization, the pilot should request a descent to at or below 10,000 feet. So why did the pilot only request a descent to 18,000 feet, or flight level 180, as he puts it? We can only surmise. First of all, maybe the pilot put on his oxygen mask, and the TBM does have oxygen masks that provide oxygen under positive pressure for up to one hour in the event of loss of cabin pressurization for one hour for both the pilot and the passengers. So maybe he put on that mask and thought everything was okay. Or maybe he only thought he had a partial loss of cabin pressurization and that by descending to 18,000 feet, the pressurization system would be able to keep up with the uh, outside air pressure and maintain a safe and comfortable altitude. Those are two possibilities. And finally, the other possibility is maybe the pilot at the time he made his request was already suffering from partial hypoxia and his judgment was impaired. Well, this is all interesting to talk about, but why am I bringing up this subject in a show about air traffic control communication. There's two important points to be made here. First, did you notice that the pilot did not say exactly what his problem was to ATC? Had he said his problem was cabin pressurization, 
Every air traffic controller knows exactly what that means and what's coming next. With Every air traffic controller knows that with loss of cabin pressurization, the pilot is about to request a descent to lower altitude. Now, air traffic controllers don't understand every little nuance of every little airplane. They're not systems experts on all aircraft, but they do have the broad brushstroke knowledge of how aircraft operate, and many air traffic controls Many air traffic controllers are pilots, so if a pilot says he has a cabin pressurization problem, every air traffic controller knows what's going on. The other thing the pilot failed to mention is one very, very important word. Had he used this one important word, he would have got an immediate descent to whatever altitude he requested. Did you notice in this situation, initially, Atlanta Center was only able to authorize him to descend to flight level 250, or as you and I know at 25,000 feet. The reason ATC was only authorized to allow him to go down to flight level 250 is because there was opposite direction traffic passing underneath at flight level 240. 250, we need to get lower, 900 kilo November. Working on that. Get a traffic 12 o'clock and 15 miles north on level 240. So until that traffic passed, ATC could not let him go below 25,000 feet. And then, even then, after traffic passed, air traffic control still did not let him go below 20,000 feet, even though his request was for a descent down to 18,000 feet. So my question to you again is this. What is the one word that pilot could have used to get authorization for an immediate descent, to get priority handling for an immediate descent to whatever altitude he requested? What is that one word? Well, of course, you and I know that one word is emergency, as in, I am declaring an emergency. It means I am now, as pilot command, requesting priority handling for my aircraft, move everybody else out of my way, and give me what I need to safely resolve my situation. But the pilot never used that word, and the question is, why? Why didn't he use the word emergency or mayday? I'm not going to answer that. What I want you to do is answer that. In the show notes for this show at atccommunication.com, if you scroll down in the show notes on the very first page, the home page, you're going to find a two-question survey. That two-question survey will only take you a minute to fill out. In fact, I'm guessing you could probably fill it out in less than a minute. And the other thing I want you to know about this survey is it's completely anonymous. I encourage you to answer it absolutely honestly because I'll have no idea who you are And so, therefore, I can't associate the opinion you give with your name, your address, none of that. So with that knowledge that it's going to take you less than a minute, that you're completely anonymous, would you please take that time to fill out that survey? And there is a very, very interesting and probably surprising reason why I want you to take part in this survey. And I don't want to tell you what that reason is right now because I don't want to influence your thinking. I'll let you know the results of the survey and why I gave it on the very next episode of Radar Contact. So do take time to fill out the survey. You can even do it right now as you're listening to me because the show will go on. Or if you would, at least, please do fill out that survey after the show is over. And I thank you very much. Speaking of surveys, in our last Radar Contact show, I announced the availability of a quiz about the rules an airport tower uses for clearing you to take off and clearing you to land. I wanted to see if you understood the reasons why sometimes tower will not immediately clear you for takeoff or immediately clear you to land when you tell tower you're ready to do either. 
So many pilots participated in the quiz that the software that supports the quiz cut off the numbers of results I could analyze. I did get enough data to summarize it for you, though, and tell you how people answered the quiz. I don't want to bore you by reviewing the results for all 10 questions in this quiz, so let's keep it interesting by just hitting the highlights. Here we go. 40% of those who responded understood tower may clear you to land as soon as the tower controller can determine there will be enough separation between you and the aircraft landing ahead of you. The majority, unfortunately, incorrectly thought tower could only clear you to land if the aircraft ahead of you has landed and taxied clear of the runway. This is not true. All tower has to do is anticipate that the required separation between you and the aircraft ahead will exist by the time you reach the landing threshold. 83% of those who answered the quiz understood a clearance from tower to make close traffic is not also a clearance to land. Clearance to land must be obtained from tower separately, and thankfully most pilots who answered understood this important distinction. Here's one result that really surprised me, and maybe it has something to do with the way the question was worded. This was the question. While flying around an airport traffic pattern, are you authorized to descend below traffic pattern altitude prior to receiving clearance to land? Here's the surprise. A full 47% of pilots who answered the quiz thought you had to have clearance to land before it was permissible to descend below traffic pattern altitude. This, of course, is wrong. I gave an explanation in the answer key of why waiting for clearance to land before descending from traffic pattern altitude could, in many circumstances, put you in a position from which you simply could not land. Sometimes, tower will delay landing clearance until you reach final approach. If you were to remain at traffic pattern altitude, which in most cases is 1,000 feet above airport elevation, if you were to remain at 1,000 feet above airport elevation until final approach which is usually somewhere between a half mile and one mile from the runway, you couldn't possibly descend safely to a landing in the touchdown zone. Of course, the correct answer is, fly your normal traffic pattern, begin a descent for the runway at your normal point, and then if landing clearance is not received, if it's not received before you have to commit to the final phase of landing, then just go around. I'm also going to read the next question verbatim because the wording may need some explanation. You are currently turning onto base leg for a full stop landing when tower tells another aircraft to line up and wait on your landing runway. Is tower allowed to give you a landing clearance right now? And there's no safety logic installed for this runway. The majority got this answer wrong. 52% said tower can clear you to land with another aircraft lining up and waiting on the runway. This is not true tower can only clear you to land after the aircraft in position on the runway is cleared for takeoff. Now there is an exception to this rule. If the airport has a safety logic system installed, tower may clear an aircraft to land with another aircraft holding in position on the runway. So this raises the question, what is a safety logic system? A safety logic system is a computer system that shows the controller whether or not a runway is currently occupied by an aircraft. And you think to yourself, well, why is that necessary? All he has to do is look outside and see another airplane there. Well, the system backs up what the controller sees out of the tower to make sure he does not cause a conflict by allowing an aircraft to land while the runway is still occupied. 
The system relies on both air surveillance and ground scanning radar to alert the controller to a potential conflict on the runway. There are only a handful of airports in the country with the system installed, and they are mostly at busy airports inside of Class B airspace. If that safety logic system is not present, tower may not clear an airplane to land with an aircraft holding in position on the runway. I'm glad that the majority of pilots, and that's 90% of those who took the quiz, understood it is possible for tower to clear two aircraft to land simultaneously on intersecting runways, provided the pilot of one of those two aircraft agrees to land and hold short of the intersection between the two runways. As a side note, Tower will only ask you to land and hold short of an intersection if the FAA has published data for the aircraft you are flying that demonstrates it has the stopping capability to land in the touchdown zone and hold short of the intersection. Other conditions that must apply also include the runway being dry, that it's daytime, that visual meteorological conditions exist, and that you, this is very important, that you as the pilot in command must agree to land and hold short. Are you hearing me? Realize you are never obligated to land and hold short if Tower asks, and it doesn't matter whether the FAA says it's possible for your airplane or not, you are never obligated to land and hold short. Never. Only do so if you've considered all the factors for your landing and you are absolutely certain you can land and hold short of the designated intersection with a comfortable margin of safety. Otherwise, just tell the tower you will be unable to land and hold short. A tower controller will never, never question your decision to not land and hold short. He is required by regulation to respect your judgment for land and hold short operations. Just an interesting side note, the rule about no line up and wait when another aircraft has been cleared to land, I'm going back to a couple questions ago, that rule does not apply at some European airports. European ATC has a lot more leeway in when it may tell an aircraft to line up and wait. At London's Heathrow Airport, for example, Tower will tell an aircraft that is holding short of the runway to line up and wait behind landing traffic. That's right. There might even be a Boeing 747 on a half-mile final approach, and Heathrow Tower will say, Speedbird 39, behind the landing British Airways 747, runway 27, line up and wait, behind. You got that picture? 747 on short final approach, and an aircraft holding short is told he can line up and wait as long as he lines up and wait behind the landing 747. The last question on the quiz might have seemed silly at first glance. It asked, why you might not receive a landing clearance from tower at the same point as the aircraft in front of you. The point of the question was to get you thinking about all of the issues a tower controller considers when deciding to clear you to land. Quiz takers gave me about 20 different reasons why tower may not clear each pilot to land in the exact same position in the traffic pattern, and that seems about right. I know it sometimes seems frustrating when you can't get tower to give you a landing clearance in what should be a timely manner. Hopefully, this quiz gave you a chance to look at airport traffic pattern operations from an air traffic controller's perspective. Those men and women in the tower have a lot to think about as they control a busy pattern. They are also restricted in what they can do by a lot of rules. Some of those rules are obvious to us pilots, but this quiz was designed to make you aware of some of the less obvious rules used by ATC when controlling your aircraft in the pattern. I hope you enjoyed it because... Based on the huge response this quiz generated, I plan to put out more like it in the future. Music
seems like every radar contact show I have another reason, and some may call it an excuse, why the building of the aircraft's radio simulator is proceeding as slowly as it is. Why should this time be any different? Here's what's holding me up now. Although I have completed every single element of the radio simulation that is recording, playback, air traffic control, voice simulation, ATC awareness of your position in the air, the one thing that it continues to give me heartburn is the visual display. That's what you see out the front windscreen of the simulated cockpit. Someone suggested, well, if that's the case, why don't you just scrap the visual display and make the simulator a a simple speak and respond program? My philosophy is pilots have a hard time coping with ATC because communicating with ATC is only one small part of flying. Anything I take away from the full simulation, be it the visual display or the instrumentation, moves it a step away from reality and reduces its effectiveness as a trainer. I want this program to be worth your time and I want it to solve your problem. That's why the visual simulation is a vital part of the program and it will be included. I'm working on the problem and getting closer to a solution. In the last few weeks, I've received emails from people who have asked me how they can buy a working version of the simulator, and I've had to tell them a working version is not ready yet. It's frustrating for me, too, because I know I'm disappointing a lot of people. All I can do at this point is just keep my head down and keep on working. In the meantime, as work on the simulator continues, do let me know if there's anything I can do to help you with your radio work. I am always reachable by comment at atccommunication.com or by email at jeff at atccommunication.com and by tweet at twitter.com. My Twitter name is atc underscore jeff at twitter.com. That's atc underscore. Some people call it an underline. In any case, it's atc underscore jeff at twitter.com. I also use Twitter to update progress on the simulator, announce new episodes of this show, and give tips on how to talk to air traffic control. I maintain a very small Twitter list that focuses only on ATC and flying to avoid wasting anyone's time. From time to time, actual air traffic controllers will get into a discussion with me at Twitter. If you want to see what's happening in air traffic control and see what's on the minds of real air traffic controllers, give me a follow at Twitter. There's an icon in the right margin of atccommunication.com to help you link over to my account at Twitter. Check it out. And now, let's get to your question of the week. You are flying VFR cross-country in uncontrolled airspace. Your current altitude is 4,500 feet. You are in contact with Salt Lake Center for flight following. The controller says to you, Cessna 9130 Delta, traffic 12 o'clock and 8 miles opposite direction. Mode C indicates 4,000, climbing unverified. You do not see the traffic, so you report, Cessna 9130 Delta, negative contact. A minute later, Salt Lake Center says, Cessna 9130 Delta, previously reported traffic, now 12 o'clock and 5 miles, opposite direction, same altitude, unverified, and he appears to have leveled off. You still don't see the traffic. Here's your question. Given the traffic's current position, same but unverified altitude, and heading, what can you say to ATC right now to help your situation? When you think you know the answer to that question, Go to atccommunication.com forward slash answers. There you'll find a full answer to the question along with a complete explanation of how that answer was derived. (laughs) 
Music for this show was provided by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com on a Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. If you're flying this week, I hope you have a great time in beautiful weather. And before you go fly, think about how you would work with ATC should a problem develop in your aircraft. And please do take the time to answer my two-question survey about aircraft emergencies at atccommunication.com. If you do participate, your answers are going to help other pilots in a very unusual way. I'll explain what I mean next time. Until then, I'm Jeff Canarish for atccommunication.com saying be well, keep in touch, and fly safe.